So let me pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we need you in our lives. We try so often to do our life pretty much without you until we get into a bind and then we pray, Lord, get us out of it. But as we have been talking, Lord, this life, this, this life, this cruciform life you're calling us to is not an easy one. Uh, it's not easy to deny yourself and to take up your cross and follow after you, Jesus, because it, we follow a, a God who came and then got on a cross and lived a life of self-sacrifice. And Lord, you are calling us to the same life. And so, Holy Spirit, we need you desperately to live in a way that doesn't seem to make sense from our world's perspective, from our flesh's perspective. It's so upside down. And so I pray that you would speak to us what it means to then live such a life that, that our old self dies. But that, doesn't, but that life doesn't stay dead, but that we are resurrected into a new life, a new way of being human. A new way to be about your work in this world. And so, Lord, speak to us. We pray about what it looks like to live a resurrected life, all the while coming off the crosses that you call us to. We pray this in your name. Amen. So this morning we are continuing our series on the cruciform life. And when we've talked about um, how we've been talking about over the last couple weeks what it looks like to live this cruciform existence. We talked about how um, <laughs> how we uh, <laughs> everything all right? Okay. I will pay no attention to the man walking to get a towel. So we've been talking about what this, this idea of a cruciform life is, this idea of life in the shape of the cross. And we talked about how like, this is not a word we use like every single day. Um, in fact, many of us before now have never used it. And so, but because basically once we... If we boil it all down, boil all this kingdom life down to its bare bones, to its essence, we come up with this. That following Jesus means following his way, and it means that we follow in the way of the cross. And so a few weeks ago, we started with this idea that, that just at its bare bones... A cruciform life is a life lived in the shape of the cross, that we deny ourselves, we take up our cross, and we follow after Jesus. 
And that for Christians, for those who name the name of Jesus, our life, our journey, our path is a bunch of little crosses. It's not sexy. It's not glamorous. It is not how to win and influence people. It is a life of death and resurrection. And then we talked about uh, two weeks ago, the idea that life as a follower of Jesus is about sac- self-sacrifice. We talked about Philippians 2, where it talks about the kenosis of Jesus, the self-emptying of Jesus. That when he came to this world, he didn't consider his equality with God something to be held on to. But he gave himself up, taking on the form of a servant, and became obedient even death on the cross. And he lived this idea, this self-emptying self-sacrificial life. And again, as we see over and over and over again, he goes first, he shows us what it means to live this life. And last week, we gathered around the table and we talked about, we meditated, we prayed, we washed feet, we ate together, we took communion, and that in a way, we were enacting what this cruciform life is like in us. We served each other. We recognized Jesus in the face of those across the table and beside us. And we took the body and blood of Jesus into our lives so that we could live Jesus, that Jesus would live in us and he would live through us. And so today we're going to explore the idea that this cruciform life is a, also a resurrected life. That, in other words, you just don't get up on the cross and stay on it. You get off. And you go into the world as what Paul says in Romans 12, as a living sacrifice. That yes, the old way has been crucified with Christ, but then you live. And so what does it mean to live a resurrected existence in our everyday life? And we're going to look at two different scriptures. One uses a metaphor of a seed being planted in the ground. And how that it has to die in order for new life to birth from the seed. And the other talks about the fact that as a follower of Jesus, that you have been crucified with Jesus, the old life has died, And that in new life, that Christ is in you, living in and through you. And so, we're going to go to that text first. Galatians 2, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. This is Paul's uh, words to the church at Galatia. And he says this. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So again, like that's one verse. It's very easy then to take one verse, rip it out of its context, and make it kind of say whatever you want it to say. Like, like, for instance, like if you, if, 
if you go if you could go back about oh 28 28 29 years okay to when my wife and I were dating okay we would write letters to each other old school you know like you know letters that we put in the mail and stamped and and there was this thing where you could like put the stamp upside down which meant I love you right wasn't that what it was um and what's that I know I'm old is that what you're saying I'm old that's all right fine I can I can handle it but, but like if you went into one of those letters and ripped out just one line, you could kind of make it say whatever you want. You could actually make it say the opposite of what I was saying in that letter, you know, because context matters. So what is going on? And everybody's like, where'd you just go? Love letters to Paul. But if you, one of the dangers of just using one verse is you can make it say whatever you want to say. So you got to understand the context of what Paul is saying. And so... To do that, he's writing this letter, as I said, to the church at Galatia. Now, one of the big struggles of this church was they had a, a faction of people in their church who believed, they were Jewish believers, who said, you also have to become Jewish. You have to, for the males, you need to be circumcised. And you also, you know, you know that bacon you liked every morning? That's got to go. That's, you can't have bacon every morning. In fact, you can't have bacon at all. And also, a lot of the other dietary restrictions, to truly be a Christian, you basically have to become Jewish. And so the question Paul was wrestling in verses 11 to 21 is actually, hey, what sets a person right? What justifies them with Jesus? Is it the law is it following through all these uh, dietary restrictions and being circumcised and all these maybe external things? Or is it faith in Christ? What justifies a person? Also, is it their ethnicity? Is it their gender? Like, what is it that sets somebody right? Where does your identity come from? For a Jewish person at the time, I mean, it was rooted in their religious and ethnic makeup. And Paul is saying, it is no, our identity comes from, as followers of Jesus, is that the old self, the law, our ethnicity, our gen- any other identity is actually then crucified and our identity becomes with Christ and in Christ. It dies and a new identity is born. There's something to be said in this text a lot about the idea about being in Christ or with Christ. So Paul Basically, he's saying, I don't have my life anymore. It's not mine. It is Jesus's. I don't own it. That life, the old life, died. And now I'm living a resurrected life by faith in Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, one of my favorite theologians, N.T. Wright, obviously, says 
This is the heart of Paul's argument. One must lose everything, including the memory of who one was before, and one must accept and learn to live by a new identity, a new foundation. End quote. And so then when we lose everything, according to Paul, or when we are crucified, we are with Christ, we are in Christ. And so radically, this is crazy. What is true of Jesus becomes true of us. Wright continues, the roots of this idea are in the Jewish belief about the king. The king represents his people. Think of David fighting Goliath, representing Israel against the Philistines. What is true of him as king was true of them. If Jesus is our king and he represents us, then what is true of him is true of us. We take on his identity. That Jesus died and rose again to new life. And that is true of us. We are called to die to the old self, the flesh, the powers and principalities of this dark world. We're called to die to that. A crucified life. That former life which lived to the sins of the world that held sway, the powers that held sway in our life, that life gets up on the cross and dies. And a new life, a life resurrected in the way of Jesus, comes to bear. Because did you see what Paul said? So I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Again, he's just saying the old life is dead, but I have a new life through Christ. Death was defeated, and now life, true life, abundant life, life in the way of Jesus and his kingdom can now be lived. And this idea that there's this death and this new life is also found in John 12. This is this metaphor that Jesus begins to use to that same thing of like, like he, he doesn't spell it out here, but he's basically saying, look, I'm that seed. I'm going to go into the ground. I'm going to die. And then new life is going to be birthed. And he uses this, this image that they were so familiar with. In an agricultural world, they understood planting seeds and, and having this. And so this is 12 23 to 25. This is Jesus' words. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So, again, to understand, you've got to look at the context. What's happening? What's happening is there are some Gentiles, or more specifically Greek people, who come to uh, a disciple, come to uh, Philip and say, hey, we really want to see Jesus. Can you take us to see Jesus? And so Philip tells Andrew, and Andrew and Philip go and tell Jesus, hey, there are some Gentiles, these Greek people want to come and want to see you. And then Jesus goes into this metaphor about a seed, 
which is really interesting, right? Because it seems like he doesn't even hear what Andrew and Philip are saying. Because it doesn't seem like there's this, like, con- like it, it doesn't make sense because he's not actually answering Andrew and Philip. Andrew and Philip. And so what he says instead is he says, my hour has come, that I will be glorified. Which is really interesting because you, we think like glorification is like an upward trajectory, right? Like, oh, you're going to, it's going to be like crowns and, and like thrones and it's, it's glory. It's amazing. Like somebody says, hey, how was your trip? And you go, it was glorious. Okay. That's a good thing. Here, what he's saying is his glorification is actually a downward journey. He actually takes on his glory. He's enthroned when he's on the cross. He pulls back the curtain. And he's basically kind of saying, hey, if, you, if the Greeks really want to see me, if you really want to see me, this is what my life is really all about. N.T. Wright says, he is pining a route along what his servants, his followers, must go after him. Meaning, here's where I'm headed. If you want to follow me, this is the same route you've got to go. If they, and he continues, if they really want to see him, to get to know him and understand what he's about for themselves, they must get ready to be planted in the same way, to risk all in his service. So, John, so as John is writing this and, and, and using the words of Jesus, it's this metaphor of a kernel of wheat to talk about death and new life. I'm not a, I'm not a gardener. I'm not a farmer. From, but best from what I understand is when you plant a seed in the ground, it has to die in order for something to be birthed. There's death must happen. And if it doesn't, not, there, there's no new life. It just stays in the ground. There's no multiplication. Same with Jesus. Jesus' death on the cross, he gets buried in the tomb is like that kernel wheat that falls into the ground and dies and then is resurrected into new life and to a harvest. I apparently loved what N.T. Wright was saying all throughout this commentary because I'm going to quote him again like this is my fourth time. Jesus' death will be like sowing a seed into the ground. It will look like a tragedy. How many in the story of his disciples feel like, well, we wasted all our three years with him. Because it's a failure. A crucified Messiah was no Messiah at all. But in fact, it will be a triumph. The triumph of God's self-giving love. The love that looks death itself in the face and defeats it by meeting it voluntarily on behalf of not just Israel, but the whole world. It's the same way with us. Our old life gets buried in the ground... You ever think about the symbolism of baptism? Baptism is a symbol, a symbolizing, a metaphor of death. You're going down and the, the old life is being buried in baptism. And then you, you don't stay underwater. I mean, I hope you don't. 
but you bring them up into what is then new life. That's the metaphor. That's the picture of what baptism is all about. Old life dies in baptism and is raised to a resurrected life. And so Jesus, he continues and says, hey, if anyone loves his life, will lose it. We're talking about the old life, the life of sin, the life defined by self. But if anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, it's not saying physically hate your life. No, he's saying you need to reject the world system, the powers and principalities of the dark world, the values of the empire which line up against Jesus and the kingdom. We need to reject those things, the ways of this world, how, they, how it defines life. I mean, life is defined by possession of stuff. You know, the old saying, he who dies with the most toys wins. That's a definition some people have for life. How much can I get ahead? How many people can I step on in order to get ahead? How much do I make about putting myself in first place? Me being number one. A lot of life for a lot of people, is defined by ourself. That life needs to, in the metaphor we're talking about, go into the ground and die. If we are to follow Jesus, to come back to life and live a resurrected life. Or... It needs to be crucified with Christ so that you can have life in Jesus. But my question is, what does it look like, practically speaking, to die to the old self, to be crucified with Christ, and to raise to new life? Or to be buried in the ground and then have a harvest? What does it like actually mean every single day? I was thinking about this, and I... I was praying, and I felt like God said, go a couple chapters later in Galatians, in the same book, because there's this picture of what the old life is like and what the new life is like. Life in the flesh versus life in the spirit. Acts of the flesh versus fruit of the spirit. Galatians 5 Paul says this. These are the acts of the flesh. This is the the life before being crucified. The acts of flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so some of these you'll go, yeah, I'm good, I'm good. You know, uh, I've never participated in orgies. Um, that, we're, we're good at that. Uh, I don't do witchcraft, so I'm, I'm good. I don't think I've ever done um, fits of rage, unless you're driving, maybe. Maybe you, you, you throw fits of rage while you're driving. But some, ever been jealous? Ever been envious? 
ever have any form of impurity in some way, shape, or form. We're all there. We've all participated in the acts of the flesh. The way of the empire, the way that's cr- that contrary to the way of Jesus needs to be buried in the ground, crucified with Jesus. And then, what does it mean to live an actual resurrected life in the way of Jesus and his kingdom? It's what he says right after that. It's a comparison. It's contrasting the acts of the flesh before death and the life of the Spirit after dying to self and raising to new life. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You want to know what a cruciform life looks like in the resurrected existence? It looks like love. They will know we are Christians by our love. How are we doing, church, with that? Yeah, yeah, right. Pretty stinkerish, right? We will have life of joy. Christians will be known as people of peace who follow the king of peace. Why is it that when they, somebody did a survey, it seemed like Christians were the first ones who wanted to go to war? I don't, I don't get it. If we are to be a people of peace following the king of peace, the prince of peace, calling us to peace. We will live a life of forbearance with each other. That means we stay in relationship when we disagree. How are we doing with that? Mm. It's easier to go and live in our own little silos where everybody thinks like me, believes like me, sees the same way as me. It's hard to stay in relationship with someone you disagree with, but that's what forbearance is. A life of kindness, a life of goodness, a life of faithfulness, of gentleness, and of self-control. If you want to figure out what a resurrected existence looks like, just read the fruit of the Spirit. And then pray that the Holy Spirit would help you live that way. Pray that you would have people in this room who would encourage and challenge you to live out that. People Pray that people would lovingly say to you, hey, I noticed this, that, and the other thing. Is that easy? No. From both parties. Like, I don't... As much as I just said that, I don't want you to come up and say, hey, I noticed you weren't very, you weren't very loving. I'm like, oh, yeah, mind your own business. But I do. But I just don't want to hear it. You know what I mean? Like, there's this, like, yes and no. Tug, pull and tug. Like, I don't, I don't, uh. But my prayer for us, for myself, is that this cruciform life is the old dies. And this life of the fruit of the Spirit lives. And so we're going to unpack a little farther together what it really looks like for all of us to, to on the ground, live out this resurrected life. And so there are some questions on the screen.